Y'all can have a seat. As you're doing that, grab your Bibles and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17 for our half part of our week and a half mini-series that we're doing. 1 Samuel chapter 17. Our main uh, passage of Scripture, portion of Scripture this morning is going to be picking it up in verse 32, but again, for some reason, I have a knack of jumping into the middle of a scenario in the Word, so we're going to have a hop, skip, and a jump from verse 1 to verse 31 real quick, just to give us some context before we get into it. Uh, So at this point, Israel has gone out to fight the Philistines, probably all familiar with this story, this encounter between David and Goliath. Israel's on one mountain, the Philistines are on the other mountain, there's a valley in the middle. Philistines send out their champion, uh, Goliath, this 10 or 11 foot tall giant of a man. I mean, it doesn't seem that tall, but when I was thinking about like, I'm about six feet, so like another three quarters of me on top of myself, uh, a pretty tall guy. And not just and he's not built like me, okay, <laughs> either. He's like, you know, he's swole. He's wearing, wearing a chain of mail that probably wears like 200 pounds. His spear is probably like 50 pounds in and of itself. He's a big dude. Um, and so they send Goliath out to challenge them. And Goliath, you know, says, send a man out. And if he kills me, then we'll be your servants. And if I kill him, then, you know, you're going to be our servants, which is obviously a lie. He had no, there was not a doubt in his mind that he thought he was going to lose. And I only know that because as soon as he dies, the Philistines run. <laughs> okay, there's no point where he ever thought, you know what? No, we're actually going to go through with this. This was obviously just a fear tactic. And there's a lot of that, a lot at stake for sure from the Israelites' perspective and understanding like, well, I'm not going to go out there. I'm not going to be the guy that puts our entire people under, under bondage. Um, but in verse 11, after the Philistine comes out and defies the armies of Israel, it says in verse 11, when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. And that is how the enemy likes to get you. The enemy likes to have you and have me fearful and discouraged because if he can do that, then he's won half the battle, right? We know, for Paul writes to Timothy, that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of what? Of power, love, and a sound mind. The enemy knows if he can get us fearful, then it's just that much easier to fall prey to the next attack. We're just that much more susceptible to give in to the flesh, to give in to even more fear, to give in to more lies, to give in to more deception. So if he can get us fearful, if he can get us dismayed and discouraged, then he's already won half the battle. And Goliath has been coming out in verse 16, it says, and he's been taunting the Israelites twice a day for 40 days. It says in verse 16, 40 days, morning and evening. And not one man steps forward to challenge him. And I don't, I don't think there's anything special about the number 40 days, although it's just an interesting correlation of that's how long Moses was being a shepherd before God, God called him. As we talked about last week, but that's, again, that's how the enemy likes to work. It's not just, I'm going to come out and taunt you one. The enemy is like, I'm going to berate you. I'm going to beat you down, hammer, meat, nail. I'm just going to keep coming, keep coming, and keep coming until you just are so overwhelmed with it that you just crumble and fall. And that's when he's got you. He just keeps coming day and night, even more, more times a day. He's just actively trying to pursue us, actively trying to accuse us. And at this point, David's brothers, we know as in the passage that David's brothers have gone out to do the battle with Saul. They're with the army of the Israelites here. David's dad, Jesse, tells him, hey, bring food, bring cheese for the captain, smooge the captain over, you know. 
make sure that my sons are okay and, and report back to me. And it says in verse 20, so David rose early in the morning, left the sheep with the keeper, which I think is awesome because it just shows right away that David was faithful with the little things. He didn't just neglect his responsibilities, but it says he rose early in the morning, left the sheep with the keeper, took the things and went as Jesse had commanded him. And I read that and I think, wow. This day, as David woke up, was just like any other day for him. There is no way he knew waking up, waking up that morning that he was going to be fighting a giant. There's no way. He just woke up and he was faithful with the responsibilities that he had and he was obedient. And as we read in our scripture reading, listen, if we put on the full armor of God every morning, you're ready for whatever comes your way. Regardless, because the enemy is going to attack you. He's going to attack us every single week. We step out of bed in the morning, and my first thought is, God, I don't want to go to work. Okay, because it's normally like 5 o'clock in the morning for my shop. And I'm like, why? Why, Lord? Why? I just got home six hours ago. And automatically I'm complaining, and I'm in the flesh, and the enemy's got me, you know, from the get. But you put on the full armor of God, and you rise. You're ready for whatever comes your way. In verse 22, it says, David leaves his supplies in the hands of a supply keeper. He runs to the army. He greets his brothers. And as he talked with him, there was the champion. Goliath comes out. And he's, again, berating and, and defying the armies of the, of the Israelites. And David gets to hear him say these things. And all the men of Israel, they fled from him. They were dreadfully afraid. And verse 25 says, the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel, and it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches, will give him his daughter, and give his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. Well, there's obviously some sort of incentive, incentive that Saul is given here, right? Not enough, apparently. Apparently Saul was trying to pawn off his daughter as a prize. <laughs> Maybe this was Michael, I don't know. But nobody steps up. And David spoke to the men, verse 26, by saying, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? These are the first, up in this passage from verse 1 till now, these are the first words we hear out of David's mouth. Up until then, it's just, this is what David's doing, this is what his brothers are doing, this is what his dad said, this is what and he's obeying, whatever. And these are the first words that we hear out of his, his mouth. And right away we see that he cares more about the things of God than material wealth, than personal gain and status, or even physical danger. The first words that come out of his mouth. And we know that based off of the things that he's saying compared to what the men of Israelite, the Israelites are saying, the men in the army there, because the Israelite men are saying, have you seen this man? And David says, no, no, this is not just a man. This is an uncircumcised Philistine. He's out of the covenant of God. Israelite men are saying, he has come to defy Israel. And David says, no, no, he's defying the armies of the living God. Not just Israel. These are the armies of the living God. You are the army of the living God. The Israelite men are saying, the man who kills him is going to get these rewards. This is the incentive that Saul is given. And David says, uh, the man who kills him will take away the reproach from Israel doesn't care about his own personal status, physical danger, material wealth. Those things aren't incentive enough. All that mattered was caring about the things of God more than himself. 
He saw things from a spiritual perspective, not from man's perspective. In verse 28, it says, Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was aroused against David and said, Why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. What classic older brother jealousy of younger brother. You have an older, are, you an, are you an older brother and have a younger brother? Yeah, this has never happened. Eliab says, Who do you think you are? We've been battling for 40 days. He's been taunting us for 40 days. You think you can just come in here all tough, all macho? I bet you weren't even responsible enough to make sure that, you know, the sheep, that you left them with someone, that you took care of your own responsibilities. All you are is just a prideful, foolish boy who's just come down here to see if you can get maybe someone else to go fight him and you can watch. As if he could really know what was in David's heart. Although perhaps he thought he knew what was in David's heart because it was a reflection of what was in his own heart. This, this fear and being dreadfully afraid. And then the last thing you want to hear when you're in that state is correction and courage. That's so the thing we need to hear, but it's sometimes the last thing you want to hear, especially if it's coming from your younger brother. I'll tell you that right now. Like, you don't know anything. But David responds. Verse 29 says, What have I done now? Is there not a cause? Do we not have reason to fight this man when he has blatantly defied the living God? Is there not a cause for us? Is this not what God would want us to do? Again, David's concern was with God's cause, not his own feelings, and he wouldn't let his brother's hurtful words hinder him from sticking to God's cause. He wouldn't let the words hurt him. As one commentary I read said, Goliath was a dead man right there. This is where the battle was won is when David decided, I'm not going to let the armies of Israel, all these men, you know, they're all hearing, they're agreeing with my brother, my brother's publicly, like, insulting me, they're laughing, and everyone's against me. But when he decided to say, no, God's cause is more important than all that, I won't let those things hurt me, I won't let my own feelings, my own desires, my own interests get in the way of that, that is when Goliath was a dead man. That's where the battle was won. Because this easily could have been the place where David packed up and went home, like very easily. But he resolved in his spirit to stick to those things of God without distraction or without care to his own personal glory and success. So a word of what David is saying gets to Saul. We pick it up in verse 32. That wasn't too bad, right? Then David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And so we David now explains why he's qualified to be the man for the job. Saul said to David, verse 33, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are a youth and he a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. David begins by saying, let no man's heart fail because of him. And now coming from a young shepherd boy, this would seem pretty foolish. This, at, to a soldier, right, this is probably a seeming to be like this, the foolish overconfidence that young men have at some point in their life. No, like, everyone's like, I never had that. I was wise beyond my years. <laughs> my whole life, I was never a foolish young man. And that's great. I was not by any means. You know, there's always that friend that's like, oh, I bet you can't do this. And you're like, 
as if, watch me, you know, watch I can do it. You always end up in a hospital or arrested or something. <laughs> I had this one friend growing up. I don't even know if my mom knows her story, so this might be a very rude awakening for her. <laughs> um, he was my friend, very close friend, but he was that guy that was like, you know, always getting in trouble together. And uh, we decided it would be a fun game um, to see how much material possessions you could acquire from theme park gift shops. <laughs> sin. It was just sin. It's all sin. I could have been arrested. Foolish. Foolish overconfidence. <laughs> I think I did get away with it, so maybe I wasn't so foolish, but no, it was wrong. I mean, I gifted some of it to Lee at the time. We were dating. And she... it, all, it was all for a good cause. But David says, listen, your servant will go. And this is kind of, I feel like, this is like scrappy-doo, you know? Like, let me at him, let me at him. I'm going to do it. I'll be the one to go out there. No one else is going to go out there. They're too scared to fight. Then I'll fight the enemy. I'll do something about it. A little scrappy shepherd boy. In verse 33, Saul says to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him because you are a youth. And he's a man of war from his youth. He has been trained for war since the day he was born. Since before you were born, probably. Saul thought David was disqualified because of age and inexperience and how easy it was for Saul to only look at the outward fleshly human problems when the Spirit of God had left him. It was just that easy. All he could see was what was right before him. Just like Moses, and we talked about last week, all he could see was his disqualifications. All Saul saw in... Saul saw. that's That's fun. Saul saw in David was his disqualifications. Theoretically, I would imagine that he was probably the one that's supposed to go out and fight Goliath in my head because he was Israel's giant, right? He stood a head and shoulder above everybody else. He should have been the one to go out and fight him, and yet he's just as afraid as everybody else because all he sees is what's right in front of him. The Spirit of God who left him, he doesn't see victory at all. Now, if I can encourage you just from what Saul says to David here, don't ever let others tell you what you can or can't do for the Lord. Ever. And I don't mean that in like a rude, like, you can't tell me what to do kind of way. I mean, don't get caught up in the paralysis of analysis. <laughs> don't, the Lord puts something on your heart, He wants you to go do, and all you get caught up is the logistics behind it, and you're thinking and thinking, and this is what God's called me to do. And someone's like, Well, do you have a seminary degree? Well, no, maybe this is not what God's called me to do. Oh, well, hey, I really want to go do this. I want to minister to this people. I want to, I want to start this thing up. And they're like, yeah, I don't know. That's not how we always done it. So I don't know if it's really going to work or. that's great. That's great that you have this, but have you really thought about X, Y, Z? Maybe have you really put all this thing into play or we're going to go being obedient and I think I should be really discipling someone. It says in the word to be discipling others and I should be, I know I should be, but just work's busy. Their schedule, the other people are probably working. They probably have a schedule and we overthink ourselves and we get this caught up, this caught up in this paralysis analysis kind of mention and and, and mentality. And then we overthink our way out of obedience. And then when that happens, nothing in the church gets done. It's stale. It's stagnant. And the Spirit of the Lord leaves and goes and blesses another church that's going to be obedient and faithful. William Carey, a missionary to um, India, he said, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. 
And that's the type of people that I believe I, I want to be, that I believe we want to be here. As we're not letting others tell us what we can or can't do for the Lord. As we know, Hebrews eleven six it says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. We're walking by faith. We're living by faith. That is how we please the Lord. Unfortunately, when many of those people, when you bring these things to the mind and you want to share it with someone because you, you're expecting them and our response should be, that's awesome. Let's pray about how the Lord might want to work with this. Let's, let's bring it before the Lord, see what he wants to do. Not, uh, just, mm, I don't know. Unfortunately, many of those people might be the ones closest to you like family, like Eliab. Our response should always be when someone comes, I'm not going to tell you you can't do that for the Lord, but let's bring it before the Lord together. Verse 34, David says to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep, and when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth, and when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. He took his job seriously, this guy. (laughs) We've seen that he was faithful in the little, little things and with no regard to his own safety, he chases the sheep. It would, lion would come, take it. He'd go after it, kill it. He could have run from it again, but he didn't. An example of that. When he goes out and, and strikes it, it drops the lamb that I had in its mouth. It turns to attack him because he's all ticked off now because he just got hit in the head with a stick. If <laughs> it says, I grab it by its beard, which I'm guessing is a lion, just because I don't, I don't see a beard on a bear necessarily, but I'm, and either way, he grabs it and he's like, just struck it by it with his, and he just kills it with his bare hands. No pun intended. <laughs> I mean, it's like, I don't even know if we can picture this. Like, there's not a good Hollywood portrayal of how this actually goes down. He's just grabbing it by his hand and he's bare hand killing lions and bears. So many of this whole picture just blows my mind. But we would have never known that this would have happened if Saul had not said those things to David. It's not like David was offering this information willingly, right? He uses it to show this is why I'm qualified to be used by the Lord is because of what's happened in the past, right? He wasn't going to share this. It was because David, Saul said, yeah, you can't do this. David's like, actually, no, I can because I just barehanded this lion back here. And I killed it. He wasn't ever going to offer it freely. And he says in verse 36, Your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. This warrior is against us is nothing more than an animal to me. He's going to be just like them. I've killed them, and I have no problem killing him too. In this statement, we see not just the faithfulness, but the boldness of David grow. As first, he's encouraging the men, hey, someone should fight him. Someone should do it. And then back in verse 32, he says, you know what? I will fight him. I'll be the guy to do it. And now he's like, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kill this guy. I'm going to do it. His boldness progresses as he continues to stick to the things of the Lord, the cause of God. And I'm going to kill him because he has defied the armies of the living God. And that's because God was the source of David's strength and confidence. Verse 37, moreover, David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. God had proven himself as protector and deliverer before and he could do it again. All of his life up to this point, God had been preparing David for this fight. 
God had been preparing David for this fight with Goliath. And that's because who we are in private is who we are in public. Right? Again, he didn't just wake up that morning with the supernatural confidence that the Lord has delivered him from the hands of a giant. He didn't just wake up like, oh, oh taking care of the sheep, going to kill a giant maybe later. You know, <laughs> felt strong, might kill a giant later. You know, just kind of that, that kind of a day. <laughs> that's not how it happened. David's confident assurance could only be because he had developed a, a deep, personal, intimate relationship with the living God. That's the only reason why he could say these things. He was day by day worshiping him, praying to him, interceding for others, knowing his word, writing his word on his heart. And the same is for us. If we want to be these kind of people like David, to have this confident assurance in the Lord's deliverance of any problem, then it's not just a coming to church on Sunday kind of thing. It's a day by day. If we're doing these things, these disciplines day by day, these are the kind of people that God can use to do great things. What we are in private is what we are in public. And he didn't know then that God was preparing him for now, and well, we don't normally ever either. But when the time comes, we can always look back and see God's faithfulness and how his hand has been in the situation every single step of the way. And that gives us confidence moving forward. Saul tries to do his best to equip David, verse 38. So Saul clothed David with his armor, and he put a bronze helmet on his head, he also clothed him with a coat of mail. David fastened his sword to his armor and tried to walk, for he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these, for I have not tested them. So David took them off. And Saul's heart was in the right place here. He's like, well, I'm a king. I'm sending you out. I should probably at least give you a weapon or some armor, maybe, to defend yourself. And so he gives him his own armor, the armor of the king. The best armor around, the best armor money could buy, Again, we see Saul looking at this entire situation from a natural fleshly perspective. I'll give you armor to protect yourself. And David's like, I, I haven't tested these. I don't know, and I'm not going to use these things in battle because I don't know if I can rely on them. It's like a, a Kevlar vest these days, you know, that law enforcement or military use. Like if you're wearing one of those, you want to watch lots of videos where just bullet after bullet after bullet is getting shot at this thing and it's resisting it because you want to know it works, right? Because you're putting your trust in it. It's going to protect you. And David says, I don't know if these things are going to protect me. I don't know if I can rely on these. I don't know if I can trust, on these, trust in these. And so he takes them off. I think there's two applications there for us this morning. One is don't try to wear someone else's armor. If you see the Lord working and moving and using someone else's life, don't try to imitate what that person is doing to receive the same result in your own life. Okay? Your walk is between you and the Lord. Specific gifts, callings, purposes that he has created you and you alone for. For you and you alone to fulfill. Don't try to wear someone else's armor. Don't get distracted by others. If you see the Lord using someone else, don't get distracted and try to imitate them. Be encouraged by them. Because they're probably doing the things that you should be. <laughs> and then secondly, don't equip yourself with humanistic, fleshly ideologies and tendencies when the armor of God has been tested and proven and true. Don't listen to anyone offering you any that kind of advice either. The armor of God will never let you down. And it will, I promise you, 
according to the word, it will equip you for whatever battle you are facing, whatever it is you're going through right now. Because if we're going into battle, and it's a, it's a war, we know this, spiritual warfare. If we're going into battle armed with the things of the flesh, then we might as well be fighting for the enemy. Second Corinthians chapter 10. You guys are probably familiar with these verses. Beginning in verse 3, Paul writes, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And it's easy for us to read that. And I've been guilty of this before and say, yes, we should go out into the world. We, should, we believe the word of God is true and it's powerful. We're going to go out into the world. We're going to bring down the strongholds, the, the false doctrines and the deception that's out there in the world with the power of God, which is absolutely true, but that's not the context of what Paul's writing. The context of this is that we're pulling down the worldly strongholds that I have infiltrated in my own heart and mind, that I have allowed to penetrate my heart against the word of God. And so therefore we're going to cast down every thought that exalts itself against the knowledge of God in my own heart. That's what Paul is saying. It's not about out there. It's about right in here. Those ideas that the world can tell you or that you can deceive yourself with by just saying like, you can do this on my own. You know, I can't, I can't do this on my own. Or, you know, I, I just have to try harder. That's, that's probably what it is. I'm just not doing enough. I just have to try harder. Or, you know, you deserve better. I deserve better. Isn't that such a, hmm. I deserve better than this. Or one of my f- favorite ones of the world today, you just need a higher view of yourself. You just have low self-esteem. You need higher self-esteem. Like, oh, my Lanta. Are you kidding me? And that's infiltrated the church. We don't need a higher view of self. We need Christ esteem. We need more of the cross. I must decrease. He must increase. We don't need the world telling us. We just need higher self-esteem. The Lord need higher self-esteem. Is he hung there for you? Is that going to save him? He did that for you. He did that for me. We can't rely on these things. We rely on the word of God. And so just like David, David took them off. We need to take those things off. You can imagine the look on Saul's face as he's like, I just gave you that. <laughs> that was a gift. <laughs> that was supposed to protect you. You're a dead man. <laughs> I've, I've tried everything. I don't know what else to do. <laughs> Verse 40 it says, Then he took, David took his staff in his hand, and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook, and put them in a shepherd's bag and a pouch which he had, and his sling was in his hand. He was ready to go. And he drew near to the Philistine. And I've never realized this before, studying it this time for this morning. When we know the Israelites are on this side, the valley, Philistines are on this side, the brook was running through the middle of the valley. David is committed to this battle and its victory before he even has any ammo. That's crazy. I mean, the Lord is probably freaking out. He's like, hey, look what he's doing. This is awesome. <laughs> He's got nothing. He's just got me and he's going in. That's awesome. <laughs> Michael, Gabriel, do better. No. <laughs> With the lions and the bears, he had to pursue them. And this time the enemy just comes to him. Man. 
Verse 41, the Philistine came and began drawing near to David, and the man who bore the shield went before him. When the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was only a youth, ruddy and good-looking, which I don't know if that gives you a one-up on anybody, if you're better looking than they are. I'm assuming David was a good-looking guy, or maybe just compared to Goliath, it made him look like really good-looking, so I was like, (laughs) he was good-looking, all right. Verse 43, so the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The sheer pride and mockery of this man, cursing David by his own false gods. You insult me by sending out this child to fight with me. Pride comes before destruction, right? Verse 44, Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Let's just get, let's get this over with. <laughs> your body's going to be food for the animals. David responds to Goliath. Verse 45, Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air, the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands." You may have physical weapons that can hurt me, but I've got something so much better. I have the Lord of hosts on my side. That is one of my favorite names for the Lord, is the Lord of hosts, just because I can't picture it. All I can think about is, and I'm reminded of, is uh, Elisha and his servant on Dothan, right, on the mountain, and they're surrounded by those who want to capture them. (laughs) And 2 Kings 6, verse 16, Elisha says, because his, his servant is scared. He's like, what are we going to do? And Elisha says, do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And it's just them two. It's just them two on a mountain. So he's probably like, you're losing it. <laughs> what, are, what are you seeing that I'm not seeing? Great question. Let me pray to the Lord and open your eyes. And there's just chariots of fire and hosts all around, angels surrounding them. Do you know the Lord of hosts is on your side this morning? Better to be on his side than against him. <laughs> and he says, this day, this, this is it. It all ends now. 40 days of twice a day, back and forth. No, it, no. This day, it all ends here. The Lord will deliver you. I probably I might not even have to do anything. The Lord's going to deliver you. He's going to be the one to end this. He's going to be the one to bring victory. Verse 47, it says, All this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear. The Lord does not save with these man-made methods and tools. That's not how he works. Isaiah 55, 8 through 9, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. And because of that, that's why we can trust him with all of our heart, and not lean on our own understanding because his thoughts and his ways are that much higher than ours. 
Well, yeah, we use these fleshly man-made horizontal kind of solutions to things. And he's like, I got the vertical thing. That's where it really comes into play because that's the answers that are actually going to bring about change. That's why we trust in him. We don't use our own spears and swords and javelins. We trust in the armor of God. It says, all this assembly shall know because I'm going to kill you. Everyone here will know that the Lord is not saved by these ways. That means all this assembly means the Philistines and the Israelites. Everybody. The Israelites should have already known this. (laughs) They were the armies of the living God. They were his chosen people, a covenant with him. And yet they came to the battle in their flesh and strength. And so they needed to be reminded that this is not how the Lord says. The battle is the Lord's. And whatever you may be facing this morning, know that the battle is the Lord's. It's not yours. I was reminded of, I don't have to turn there, but 2 Chronicles chapter 20, Judah is surrounded again on every side, armies all around him. King Jehoshaphat is seeking the Lord. He proclaims a fast and he gathers the people together and they're praying. And he cries out in verse 12, he says, Oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And the Lord responds. He says, The Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel and he said, Thus says the Lord, do not be afraid, afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude. For the battle is not yours, but God's. The battle is the Lord's. It's not yours. It's not mine. And contrary to what maybe other people might think, and maybe you've thought this before too, in light of this picture being a representation of spiritual warfare, you and I are not David. Jesus is. Okay? There are many things that we can learn and apply to our lives from this situation, but it's Jesus' battle. It's not ours. We can't go into it in our own strength and our own flesh and expect to see victory. God brings a victory when we faithfully fight in the spirit, not in the flesh. He's the one who equips us to overcome. We don't fight in the armor of the flesh and expect to win. We don't put on the armor like David's putting on Saul's armor and expect to somehow see victory when we're going out, clink, 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 clink. I got you, boom, you know. That's not how we see victory. We fight in the strength of his word and the power of his spirit because it's been tested. It's been proven. And if we could learn to cry out like Jehoshaphat did, I don't know what to do. More often, we'd probably be in a lot better place. I know I would. So many times trying to handle a situation on my own, thinking I've got this, relying on my own self-sufficiency, you know, and thinking, you know, I'm just going to try harder this time. Or any, whatever the case, the enemy, the lie gets you to believe in that situation. If I just cried out, God, I don't know what to do. I would save myself a lot of pain, a lot of struggle, probably my family, probably my friends. The ones that stayed around, no. <laughs> we need to learn the battle's not ours. And so this battle takes place. And I say battle because it really isn't much of one. Verse 48, it was when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David that David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. Then David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and he slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead so that the stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the earth. He's so confident in the Lord that he just rushes into battle. He runs in. It's like there's a, 
There's always that group of people. They're like, I don't know. I don't really play video games, but I hear this is a thing. Uh, you know, or whatever, group project or something like the group of people. There's always those people that are strategizing and planning and trying to make it work. And the other guy's just sitting there like this. And they're like, hold on, man, we're going to get this ready. He's like, okay, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. And then he just rushes into battle. And they're like, well, there goes everything. That's David here. <laughs> the Israelites were like, well, I don't know if we can figure this out. We don't have spears, sword. He's kind of big. You know, we got a lot of fear. And David's like, let's go. <laughs> and he's just in there. The Goliath, I can just picture, like, what's this kid doing? He's standing on the battle and he just sees this, this little guy running towards him. He takes out a stone, just one. He grabbed five and only took one. And he just slings it. Doesn't say necessarily that he aimed. I'm guessing that he did. I don't know. I don't think it would have mattered because I think the Lord would have found a way to make it hit its mark regardless. He's just like, yeah, and it shoots up in the air somehow and the Lord's like, (laughs) one way or another. God was so thrilled and pleased by David's confidence and faithfulness, it wouldn't have mattered. That, That stone was going to find its mark. And one man's faithfulness and confidence in the Lord emboldened the entire Israelite army. We jump down to verse 51. It says, when the Philistines saw that the champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines as far as the entrance of the valley. Like, yeah, we got him. Let's go do this thing. One man is all it took to embolden them, to go out, to not rely on their strength in their own flesh anymore, to go out and be like, yo, oh, the battle is the Lord's. Okay, let's go. Let's do this thing. But back in verse 50, it says, So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. It makes a point to tell specifically that David didn't equip himself with what the world might expect to defeat the enemy. It wasn't a sword. And if we're arming ourselves with those same things, with the things of the flesh, then we can never expect to let the whole, the whole earth know that there is a God who loves them and died for them. That's what David said. He said, I'm going to kill you so that way the whole earth will know, everyone will know that there is a God in Israel. And so a question again this morning, what's in your hand? Is it a sword or a sling? How are you fighting your battles? Arming yourself with these human fleshly weapons the world expects you to and wants you to and tells you to use? Or weapons that the Lord has equipped you with in his word that only he can use to bring victory against whatever giant is before you? As the worship team comes up, and we end our two-part series, God confirmed he was with Moses and David through signs and victories. We've seen that. These had nothing to do because of their innate ability, but rather because they took what was in their hands and completely surrendered it to the Lord, and they were faithful with it. As we studied last week, it was the rod of God. It was the Lord's mouth. And today, it's the Lord's battle, the Lord's sling, the Lord's stone, the Lord's victory. And there are, there are a lot of differences between Moses and David. At the time, Moses was unwilling. David was more than willing. Moses doubted God's word. David trusted God for deliverance. Moses' confidence was in his flesh. David's confidence was in the Lord. 
But there are also some similarities between them as well. As mentioned, they were both faithful with what they had been given, whether it was sheep, rod, sling, whatever the case may be, they were faithful with it. They were both surrendered and obedient to what God had for them. They were both used by God to minister to and lead his people, whether that was out of bondage or into battle. They were faithful. They were obedient. They were ministering to God's people, used by God. And they both put God's plan and his cause before their own interests. Moses maybe a little, took him a little bit of time to get there, but he got there. And I, while I'm not by any means doing the ordination ceremony or anything like that, I'm up here, so I'm going to say something. Because the men that are being ordained in the second service, if you're able to stay, and I encourage you to, have drastically impacted my life. And that's because there are men who have done the same thing as Moses and David. There are men who have been faithful. They have surrendered completely to the Lord and been obedient to what he has told them to do. They have put his plan first before their own interests. And they have ministered to God's people. And the Lord has brought the fruit. And that's evident because I would be hard-pressed to find probably anybody in this room who hasn't been touched and personally ministered to or affected or blessed by either Justin or, or Mike. And they're nothing special, as much as they might think they are. No, <laughs> they're not. And they would tell you right away they're not. They're embarrassed <laughs> to know how much they've blessed other people's lives because they don't want to hear about themselves. They just want to hear about what the Lord's doing. And they're about his work and about his business. And I say they're nothing special in the sense that the same exhortation is just for every one of us. Jesus is looking for those who have died to themselves in their own interests, who are faithful, surrendered, and obedient to minister his love and grace to the world and to his people, right? Let's be those kind of people. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, that you have given us your word to equip us for, for this life, for the evil, for the difficulties, for just the way the enemy attacks us day in and day out. Lord, I pray for those maybe who have a giant ahead of them, Lord, I pray that they would surrender it to you. And I pray that because of your faithfulness and your goodness, that they would see victory in that circumstance. I pray they would rely on your spirit, and I pray that we would not be people who try to fight these things in our flesh. Lord, that we would surrender to you, that we would just be faithful and obedient, Lord, in the little things. We're not comparing ourselves with others, that our eyes would just be fixed on you and you alone. And Father, that is how you move, that is how your church grows, that is how your word spreads to the world around us. Lord, that is our hearts that we are called to make disciples. We want to see people saved. We want to see lives changed. We want to see people, the, the chains of sin, the bondage of sin and shame broken on people's lives. And Lord, if there's anything in our heart right now that is exalting itself against the knowledge of you, Father, we surrender that. So Lord, I pray that you would continue to just bless your church here. Bless these people as we go from here and this day, a special day for our church, Lord, that your spirit would continue to just have your way. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.